podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. best English language Fiorentina podcasts on the internet. Welcome to Viola Station. Welcome back, Viola fans. Following a disappointing loss to Inter, we decided to bring in a teledoc to help us through it all. But before that, you'll have to listen to us two first. Tito. How are you doing? Well, Mike, I've been better, but I've also been worse. Thinking back on it, losing to Inter in the San Siro and looking fairly good. It's pretty crazy that that's something we're complaining about now, considering what happened last year. That feels okay. I'm with you. You know, yesterday during the game, at the end, I, I think that you couldn't console me. It was just so heartbreaking. But looking back on the fact that we were ahead the majority of the game, but then lost at the end, that's a actually really good spot for us to be in, losing 4-3 to a potential Scudetto winner, right? There are worse spots to be in. Again, you never want to lose, especially when you're winning that late. That's obviously a letdown, but... Sometimes these things happen, and this is Fiorentina. Disappointment is part of the package. And so, Mike, to help you cope with what may be a little bit of disappointment, what are you drinking today? Today is straight water. Uh, There is no hair of the dog that can help from the amount of alcohol I drank last (laughs) night after. Uh, I put put my sorrows into the bottom of two different bottles of of Italian red. So uh, here I am just drinking water, having that next day cocktail of of, uh, water and Tylenol. How about you, bud? (laughs) Nothing quite as delicious, sadly. Uh, As soon as we wrap up, I'm going to go pour myself a little glass of a a local Amaro that they brew uh, right up the road on one of the islands. Highside Distilling Amaro Mele. If you're looking for a really nice one, strong recommend. Also, really cool people. I didn't know you had islands. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple little islands just right out there in in the sound. It's beautiful. Nice place to go ride a bike around. And then... Drink a bunch of Amaro. This is like a NBC after school special, the more you know. Look at us learning. And another thing we're going to learn about here are a whole hat full of birthdays. So let's jump into these, shall we? Miguel Montuori would have been 98 on Thursday, although he died in 1998 at the age of 65. He's really one of the legends. Uh, he was in Florence from 1955 to 1961. 183 appearances, 77 goals, really the creative heartbeat of that Scudetto winning side. Uh, Just a hugely impressive person also. He was the first oriundo, or foreign-born player, to captain the Italian national team. And his career ended in a pretty horrifying fashion. Uh, He took a ball to the face against Perugia in 1961 which detached his retina and forced him into retirement. So happy birthday, Miguel. Slightly more recent and less depressing birthday. Uh, Stephanie Breitner turned 28 on Friday. One of the standouts for Fiorentina Femenile, 
in that holding role. She's been with the team since 2018 and is really, I think, one of the more important players in that squad, wouldn't you say, Mike? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think one of the interesting pieces is uh, she has her own fan group inside of the Viola Club Go Women's, uh, which I think is quite interesting. The Steph Bree group, definitely very important, big piece of the, the, the team, and uh, happy birthday. Agoy. Yeah. Big day for the Steph Bree group as well. Same birthday, another blonde midfielder, Shimon Zhukovsky, turned 23 also on Friday. He's at Empoli this year on loan. Going back again, going to try to nail down that spot. You know, he's definitely not had the Italian adventure that he and we were hoping for when he arrived. But it is a good reminder, he's still so young. There's still so many things that could go right in his career and make him a longtime asset for Fiorentina. Maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't, but either way, happy birthday, Shimon. And then the final birthday we've got is another old-timer. Giuseppe Chiappella would have turned 96 on Monday. He actually died in 2009 at the age of 85. He is one of Fiorentina's all-time greats. 343 appearances for the club, spanning 11 years. He won the Scudetto in 1956. He also managed Fiorentina three separate times. Uh, winning the Coppa Italia twice, including in his first year as manager in 1961, so right after he retired. Sort of a hilarious figure, too. He was just this barrel-chested guy. Did not look like the modern conception of a professional athlete, perhaps, but was just a fantastic player. One of the first real halfbacks to play in that space between the defense and the midfield. And he was famous for irritating people to no end with perfectly timed slide tackles from behind that were wonderful back in the 50s and would get you sent off and suspended for half the season nowadays. So happy birthday, Giuseppe. Happy birthday to all. We're recording this the day after that Inter Milan game that we discussed very briefly earlier. So, Mike, let's return to that. What are your thoughts on that game before the 87th minute? I thought that outside of the Ceccarini own goal, that was a game that should have been ours. And, and probably by the time we got to the 87th minute, had we have been up 3-1, we're finishing that game as a win. You know, that would, that would at this point be demoralizing to enter. I liked what I saw out of the squad. Uh, we came out. We were very attack-minded. We moved the ball. I wasn't necessarily happy to see Amrabat uh, in the position he was. I wanted to see Duncan playing with him. But, you know, saying that, what happened is you had Jack Bonaventura, who was part of that build-up play where Christian Kwame scored. So, you know, second-guessing isn't, I guess, always right, despite, I think, you know, the long run, we still would have been better with Duncan and Amrabat playing together, allowing Amrabat into a different position. But I liked everything that I saw out of the squad. You know, you saw a lot of energy, youth, experience all coming together. I thought defensively, other than a few things Ceccarini did, we looked very good. And then also, to be fair to Ceccarini, he still had a lot of good plays, a lot of good tackles. So he had uh, some some very positive things going on as well. It's just that the the negatives were you know kind of out there and open. 
Ribery was was absolutely fantastic. You know, he started the game a little bit sluggish and slow, but just like any professional, he kept going and and you know going from from the uh, the game plan, and he controlled the game. I mean, I, I ESPN talked about it at at length. I don't know when you're going to see a better pass than what you saw from him to Chiesa. It was a thing of beauty, and it's something that only those two players together on our team could have probably done. Maybe Sotil would have had the legs to get that ball, but I don't know if he would have been able to finish it. Uh, so I think that having those two players connect was absolutely fantastic. At that point, I was feeling so, so good. The house was was ringing with loud, raucous cheers. You know, my, my two boys were yelling Fiorentina at the same time when I was yelling there and they were covering their ears. Oh, it's too loud, too loud. <laughs> uh, but it was a lot of fun. You know, it, and to be honest, it was fun in a way that I haven't had in a long time going up against a Scudetto challenging team. We looked like Atalanta did over the past few years. That's uh, honestly, if you ask me, I think that we looked like we could have been that next Atalanta coming up, making that charge for a top four, top five slot. Unfortunately, things changed. And, and, you know, before we get into that, I'll allow you to add your thoughts in here. Three eighty seventh minutes. I'm pretty much on board with you. I think that Yakini has come under a lot of hindsight criticism. Uh, especially for his substitution patterns, removing Kesa around the 70th minute. I think it was the 69th, which, nice. Sorry. Although that that has been his standard move in pretty much every game. Let's also remember that Kiesa put in a long shift and that Fede is the sort of player who will try to stay out there even when he's too gassed because he just wants to play. I understand the reasoning there. Ditto for the Vlaovic substitution. But let's not forget what Vlaovic did last year. Bringing him on made a certain amount of sense. Clearly, it didn't work out. And, Mike, let's go ahead and discuss your large adult son here real quick. What would you like to say on behalf of Dushan? I know that I need to be the the apologist, I guess, that you know, the person defending him. I don't think that there's a lot that needs to be defended because, uh, you know, I think Dushan would be the first one to say a lot of the things he did was just boneheaded. We've talked about this ad nauseum about him. For whatever reason, nobody has helped him get through this. And, and I don't think it's a coaching. I, I think some kind of sports psychologist needs to sit down and speak with him. If he wants to do something, what he does is he goes and just, tries to do it harder and do it stronger and, and do it more physical and, and try to break something. It's like he wants to be the Hulk and that's how he needs to do it. But you have players like Ribery and Chiesa who understand that it's not always trying to do it at, you know, full pace, trying to break something, put your foot through a ball that's going to score the goal. Uh, and that's what he ended up doing. And it looked absolutely atrocious. Uh, had he just put a little bit finesse on that ball, I think he could have slotted that home. I saw a lot of the comments, you know, Catrone could have put that in there. I'm sure that that majority would say that and they'd be right. Probably in that situation, he would have been the better player there. But you mentioned it last year at the Franchi. I was there with uh, uh, Mauricio Gambarucci and 
my boy just darted down the field and without any notice, just put his foot through that ball and just blasted home a shot. I think that that's what he was thinking. He was thinking that he was going to do the same thing the next year that he did at the Frankie the year previous. But that also wasn't the extent of his mistakes. Before that, I thought it was just boneheaded where he was trying to dribble through three players and almost gave up uh, another goal because he turned it over deep in our part of the field and it almost became a bad situation there. He knows his job is not to dribble. He's not a dribbler. You get the ball, you pass it to somebody else who can create and you dart the hell down the rest of the field. And hopefully you can get the ball back in a position where you catch the defense off guard. And now you have an opportunity to score. That part really upset me too. Then you have the positioning on the cross coming in. He should have had his head on the ball. I don't know what he was thinking. Unfortunately, gave up a goal, which changed the game, the momentum completely. So there were several moments during that game where I can't really defend. I will say this. I think it is absolutely unfair to see all the comments coming from the media, coming from the fans, targeting him. Uh, I will say this to everybody. Shame on you. You know, uh, next time that he scores a game-winning goal, I'm going to point out each and every one of you because this is a kid that I believe will come back. Uh, I believe he will be very good inside the city of Florence and with Fiorentina. All the people saying that he should leave and get out, they don't want him playing anymore. Shame on them. You know, that that's just absolutely ridiculous. So, yes, uh, I, I think that uh, it was definitely a bad game for him. Lots of bad moments. He probably contributed largely to the fact that we didn't come away with three points, largely to the fact that we didn't come away with a single point. But he's a young kid who's clearly developing, uh, maybe not developing as quickly as we'd like him to, but shame on everybody. Everyone, never come after Mike's large adult son. He will respond to you in kind. I will say, though, like, let's remember this is a he's 20 years old. Let's take it easy on the poor guy here a little bit. If you're worried about his performance, having everyone yelling at him online and telling him that he's terrible, do you really think that's going to make him play better? I don't think it will, and I think you're probably not really contributing anything to the discourse here. Just throwing that out there. That said, I do think after a game like this, it might make sense for him to accept a loan move away somewhere outside of Florence where he can start regularly. I know we've talked about this previously, that he wants to stay, earn his place, and that getting him on that contract extension might be linked to that. So who knows? I hope that the management there and his agent can put an arm around him. Well, get up on a step stool maybe and put an arm around him <laughs> and say, hey, look, man, like, we know this is what you want. Sometimes it goes a little bit differently. This is probably in everyone's best interest right now. You're obviously still in the long-term plans, but right now let's, let's head somewhere else. Go get yourself a dozen goals this year. Come back, come back stronger and just shut everyone up. I would really like to see that. Yeah. It's clear that he has a lot of pressure and I don't think it's pressure that the fans or the media is putting on him to begin with. He's clearly lumping that pressure on his own shoulders and that's causing him to press a lot. Uh, and you can see it in the way that he's playing, trying to dribble out when he shouldn't, trying to put his fo foot through the ball and blast it when it's 
just required a little bit more finesse. Those skills he has, they're clearly there. I think it's more on the mental side for him. And that's why I think, as I said, I think a sports psychologist would definitely help coaching through a lot of those things. And I'm with you. Do I want to see him leave uh, the city of Florence and Fiorentina for, for a year? No, I would love to see him show his skill set, play, you know, with a little bit more ease and flexibility and, and you know, just it comes to him naturally, but it, it's not yet. And I think that that's, as I said, more him putting pressure on himself, which he needs to kind of find a way to get through. So uh, until that happens, maybe it does make sense for him to go to a smaller club, have some minutes, get some run, have a lot less pressure put on him because he may not be buying into that team or, or the fans and they're not, you know, lumping a whole bunch on top of him and he will grow. And then he can come back to the city and have 20 goals for us next year. Who knows how it plays out though. But I go back to this shame on Italian media, shame on Florentine media, shame on all of those people who have put out very negative remarks, uh, whether he's my boy or not. It, it's just uh, an absolute travesty seeing people write the things that they did, especially for a 20-year-old. He is a professional. We expect him to act like a professional. You guys are professionals too. You need to start acting like professionals. Shame on you. I'm, I'm absolutely disgusted by several people over in Italy right now. I think there is this belief, especially online, that criticism involves being, frankly, just a huge jerk to someone. And I think it's very possible to look at Vlaovic's performance and say, yeah, that was very bad without attacking him as a player or as a person. It would be nice if we could see some more of that, a little bit more rational, cool-headed analysis. That said, you were, t- you were talking about the, the sort of psychological aspect of that. How does he bounce back? So let's apply that to the whole team. How do they bounce back against Sampdoria next week? You know, that's going to be a tricky thing. I've already seen Kwame make some comments about bouncing back and, and learning, adjusting. But let's talk about the difference last year versus this year. How much experience do we have on this squad right now? How much leadership do we have on this squad? Rivery, Petzela should be back. Our boy, Borja Valero, Jack Bonaventura. Uh, then you start taking into consideration Milenkovic, Chiesa, all of these players. Castrovilli are a year older, more mature. I think we're in a much better spot than we were last year to bounce back from a loss. Yeah, it, it's hard to lose in the 87th and tie in the 87th, lose in the 89th minute. But to lose against Inter Milan, who has a great squad, a deep bench, is is not necessarily something that you need to get down about. It would have been great to come away with three points, would have been great to, to come away with one point. But this squad showed the first team has every bit the ability to keep up if not beat Inter Milan for 87 minutes. Now we need to find that extra 10 minutes, you know, seven minutes uh, of, of the game to close these things out. That's really where we need to get. So I don't think there's going to be a step back. I think it's actually a nice game to have coming off of an Inter loss, coming into Sampdoria. You know, they, they are coming off of two losses, which can scare you, can almost seem like a trap game in a sense. But I think the leadership that's on this squad right now, mix of old leadership as well as young new leadership, I I think is going to see us through. So what are your thoughts? 
I'm kind of with you. I think we saw so much progress from this team. I mean, it, it, we, we talked about this. It's so hard to judge anything from that game against Torino because they looked like a Serie B side. Inter Milan, you know, they're bringing Arturo Vidal, Roger Nainggolan, Alexis Sanchez off the bench. That's a little different. I think also what a lot of people are forgetting is that Fiorentina created more chances, I would say, in that game especially for the first 70 minutes until those subs really took hold. That's kind of what you expect playing against a much bigger team. But Fiorentina threatened in open play, which was one of the biggest criticisms we had about Yakini last year. I think that bodes very well. And they also, until the very end, did a decent job of keeping out what I think is the best strike partnership in Italy and possibly in Europe, in Lukaku and Martinez, without Petzela. I think there's a lot you can build on. Again, obviously it's not like everything is super positive. You don't want to lose a game that you're winning in the 87th minute. But there's plenty to build on there. And Sampdoria are theoretically exactly who you want to play to get right against. They've lost their first two games, 3-0 to Juventus, and then... 2-3 2-3 to Benevento, who were just promoted. This is a shaky defense. They're not scoring a lot of goals either. Claudio Ranieri, legendary manager, nothing but good things to say about him. But he hasn't had this team playing well. I've watched them against Benevento, or most of that game, and they were just terrible, frankly. You're right, you this is also the exact kind of game that we would see Fiorentina walk into overconfident and get absolutely bushwhacked. So let's hope it's not Genoa last year. Oh boy. I would really like to not have one of those. Please. And thank you. Yeah. Assuming that that doesn't happen. And I think that Beppe Yakini is probably more likely to prevent that than Vincenzo Montella was. Fiorentina can have a nice get right game against Samp control play, get, you know, a, 2-0 kind of win, reset the course, and keep on rolling. And winning two out of your first three games, if they manage that, that's pretty good. That's how you want to start. So I, I think there's a lot to build on from that performance, even if the result is ultimately a pretty significant letdown. Right now, things are set up really well for this club to bounce back and still have the kind of season that we've both hoped for and predicted. I, I agree. I think it's important also just before we get off of the Inter game to recognize how good that team is. And, and they don't even have all their players in place yet. There's still a lot of new components that are coming in. Conti, I'm not a big Conti fan. I, I don't understand why he didn't start Hakimi to begin with. I mean, my goodness, did he change the game? Yikes. Uh, and Latoro Martinez is is just absolutely amazing to watch. Like, I, I try to watch as many games as I can when he is playing just because he is so exciting to see. And when when he got that ball and then he it came off of his foot, like, that's probably what Dushan's thinking he's going to do. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. But uh, Martinez, oh, my God, he's such a good player. So uh, I, I think Inter is going to be a very good team. It was a great game. Uh, we almost caught them off guard, came away with three points, but I'm happy that we showed very well. I also wanted to say that I think Torino, watching the game yesterday, 
gave a little bit of a scare to Atalanta. You know, they gave them a game uh, and caused a little bit of, of panic uh, there. Now, ended up 4-2, but Torino did not look that bad against a very good Atalanta team, one that is, you know, projected to, to finish in the top five. So if we beat them 1-0 one, one in the first game and then Atalanta beats them 4-2 in the second game, I still think that that's not a bad situation considering we just lost to Inter 4-3 leading the majority of the game. So I actually like where we're trending versus last year where we're trending coming out of the second game. Yeah, well, last year's second game was definitely subpar. And also, let's, yep. let's all be honest. Who expected a win in this one? Nobody. If you look at the betting lines, everyone predicted Inter to win. Those are generally a pretty fair reflection of what's going to happen. And that's what happened. Obviously, you want to win, but also you can't necessarily expect Fiorentina to go into the San Siro and beat Inter right now. That I would like for that to happen. But expecting it seems sort of optimistic. I'll say optimistic. So, you know, we, it was yeah. a good game. I mean, anyone who watched that game had a great time also. For the neutrals, I think Up that was... the 87th minute. Yeah, oh boy. But yeah, I think for the neutrals, that's probably the best game you're going to see all year. What's this, an entertaining Fiorentina? Okay, yeah. I can live with this. One other positive to take out of that game, for all of the people that keep complaining, and I see it again, shame on, on the media over there uh, getting on Dushan like this, but now it's bringing back to light that we need a 20-goal score. You know, this is the this is the thing we need as a twenty goal score. That game proved we don't. I think that that game is is exactly what we needed to see from this squad. You saw goals from Kwame, from Castrovilli, and from Chiesa. That's the way that this season needs to be set up. I don't think we need a guy who scores twenty and then you know a whole bunch of other people that are built around that. If we can actually have six or seven players that are getting six, seven, eight goals each, that's the way that this season needs to be set up. Like, that's the way I want to see it go. So I actually like the way that we performed against Inter. I like the structure. I like the game plan. I like coming out of it that we have players. Castrovilli wasn't scoring last year. He's now two for two. That's big. That's huge. So we don't need to go out there and spend a boatload of money. On a striker, I think Kwame had a very, very good game. I enjoyed the movement he had. The fact that Chiesa was darting up and back, the defensive side of the ball was phenomenal with him. Like, he's proving everybody wrong when it comes to this wing-back position. Is he going to get back and play defense? My God, did he get back and play defense. That sliding goal line clearance, is that the one you're – Yes. Yes, beautiful. That was incredible. From my standpoint – I think there's a lot of positives to take out of it, despite knee-jerk reaction is to attack young kids, you know, uh, a young adult. But the knee-jerk reaction is to attack the coach, Beppe Iacchini. You know, we need to get rid of him again. But the the mindset is maybe to attack Ceccarini for an own goal rather than, you know, saying that he actually had some some nice plays. Keeping up with one of the largest males to ever play the striking position ever, it's not easy for anybody. So I think there's a lot of positive things to take out of it. And, and again, I'm the eternal optimist, uh, <laughs> guilty. So maybe that's just me saying it, but uh, I'm going to stick with it. 
Well, in that case, could I ask you to turn your optimism onto something else? And let's go ahead and talk about the stadium. Mike, where are we with this? This just eternal portal into recursive Borgesian labyrinths? What is happening? <laughs> you know, we're, we're finally getting the data out, which, you know, I've been in, in uh, talks back and forth with Fiorentina trying to get some of these economical numbers, and, and they released them this past week. So I'm diving into those. Hopefully we'll have an article out here pretty soon that really analyzes some of this information and what it means, not only to our squad, Projections are you're taking 90 million euro revenue currently and then getting it up to 225 million uh, euros each year. Is that a lot? Is that a big difference? I'm not a math person. Could you explain to me whether or not that is good? Listen, you know, if if, uh, you had a car and you liked that car and then all of a sudden I gave you a second car. That's a lot of cars. If you have 90 million and you get to 180, that's double of the the revenue you have. Now let's take that a little bit further and add in another 45, 250% is what you're getting off of this $250 million investment, uh, million euro investment for a stadium. Rocco gets it. So I think that um, we're gonna dive into the numbers. We're going to present this information for everybody. What's coming out of it, I do believe is going to be exciting. No matter if it's in, Campy or Campo, it, it it doesn't matter. You know, the revenues are going to be there. I, I think that there's going to be positives and negatives with each. But the the overwhelming thing is I think that uh, Rocco's going in that direction. We've talked about it before. He's back in Florence negotiating on his own behalf, which to me means this is going to get done here. Not soon, but it's going to get done, uh, which is I don't think the feeling we had probably three or four months ago at this point, just because things were just lingering. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take a little bit deeper dive into it. We'll analyze, you know, who's involved, what needs to happen, what the potential ramifications are for each of the uh, different areas for the stadium. And uh, I, I think in the end, it's going to be a net net positive for Fiorentina and a huge win for the city of Florence. If, if, if they actually built this in uh, Campo de Marte, if you don't, city of Florence is going to be losing a heck of a lot of revenue, which is just asinine. You know, we're, we're talking about 500 million euros each year being infused into the city. I'll go back to, we had a conversation uh, maybe five, six podcasts ago, as far as who is the villain I picked. Uh, Mir Nardella and, you know, talked about him going on to Fox News and, and trying to ask for wealthy Americans, wealthy, you know, Europeans, wherever, to donate money to the city of Florence to help them with their deficit. And, you know, they would have their their ability to put their their, their fingerprints on, you know, the decisions that the city is making is, is I think what he was uh, essentially saying, which is weird because you have a guy who's going to infuse 500 million euros, according to a Deloitte study. Deloitte, again, not a small company, not somebody who's going to fudge numbers for the sake of Rocco Camis. They're putting their name on it. It means something. But if you're going to have something that can infuse 500 million euro each year over the 10 years that they analyze this, that's, that's your deficit. You know, the deficit he was talking about, I think, was 600 million euros is what 
they were in the negative for. If you can do that in one year, what the hell are we doing? None of this makes any sense from, from my standpoint at all. This can, this can actually save politicians' careers. Like, I think that they're looking at it in, in the wrong lens. You actually have a guy here in Rocco Camiso who can save your political career. Mayor Nardella, like, as, as much negative publicity as you're getting right now, get this done, you get City of Florence back into the green, we're in a good spot. So stop this. You know, that, that's, that's pretty much where I'm at at this point from, from a stadium. I think it will get done. Rocco will get it done. I don't know if it's going to be in Campo or can't be, but we're in a better spot, especially now that they started releasing some of the economic information, which fully supports why this stadium needs to get done. $500 million for the city of Florence, 225 million uh, euros for the team of Fiorentina each and every year. Those numbers are pretty convincing. I mean, it's it's hard to turn down that much money, I imagine. That said, as fans, we're just so used to hoping for a stadium and being disappointed. What what kind of time frame are you thinking of on this? Do you think we're going to see ground broken in the next couple of years? Latest information that we saw is Rocco was hoping to get to Rome to talk with you know some of the agencies around the stadium and making his presentation on what he would do the modifications as far as potentially moving the pitch you know 100 yards in what would be still uh, part of the structure of the new facility and the rest absolutely torn down his words recently I'll keep the tower I'll keep the stairs the rest is gone and I think that that you know started making waves because people were starting to realize hey this is real He's taking it seriously. And also the stadium is going to be torn down because you can't keep it. He was, he was literally watching a game last week and talked about how his wife won't go to the bathroom in the stadium. Okay. His wife will not go to the bathroom in the stadium. And we're not talking about the bathrooms that everybody else uses. There's one set of bathrooms, you know, on, on the side with the tower and, and it's, it's just atrocious, but, his wife will not use the executive bathrooms. That's how bad it is. At the same time, at that game, a piece of the facade actually fell very close to him. Cement fell and hit the ground. The stadium is falling apart. How many stadium disasters need to happen before an, an Italian government, before a city has to realize when you have 40,000 jumping, yelling, screaming fans in a dilapidated, run-down falling apart stadium, it's not what you want to have happen. Can you imagine if Corva Fiasole actually just started crumbling during a game and as they're jumping up and down, singing and chanting, it fell apart? What, what would that actually do to the city of Florence? What would that actually do to Tuscany, to Italy, to the sport of, of soccer? I mean, that would, that would just be absolutely horrible, not even taking into consideration the lives that would be lost. It's unfathomable how we're at this point and we're still not getting people to act. It is. It really is. I think, too, don't get me wrong. I am someone who loves the Franchi. I love Nervi's architecture. That big cement brutalist stuff I think is actually very cool. But it's also worth remembering the whole purpose of that sort of brutalist architecture is to create a space that is usable for large numbers of people who actually use it. And so I think if you took Nervi to that stadium right now, 
he would probably say, yeah, tear it down. It's not working. It's falling apart. You can't use it if it's falling apart. Again, it's, it's a landmark. It's part of the city. It's one of the most iconic stadiums in Italy. Maybe there are things you can do to rescue parts of it. I would love to keep those. Those staircases are just incredible. And the Maratona, I love so much. That tower is just incredible. But if you're putting people's lives at risk, I don't think that you can argue for the historical significance of a of a building built in the 30s over people's safety. And I think that's just a, a crazy argument to make and that we are hearing made in the halls of government in Tuscany and in Italy. I'll be honest. I've, I've, I've seen the stairs many times. I've never actually walked up the stairs. I think that I enjoy art. I think that I enjoy architecture. I don't understand the, the, the infatuation with these stairs. I love the tower. I think that that's absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and, and that is, you know, when you go to the stadium, that's what you want to picture. You always want to take a picture, a selfie of yourself with that in the background. I mean, that's just part of your experience at the stadium. That said, so real quick, again, because, you know, I'm starting to get into this research side of things. I, I wanted to type in Stadio Artemio Franchi into uh, TripAdvisor because this is such you know, Florence tells us, you know, the, the supervisors tell us, everybody tells us that these are such important aspects of, of the city and, and tourism. So let's confirm that. What is your guess as far as where Stadio Artemio Franchi ranks as the list on, on the list of things to do in Florence? I'll give you, I'll give you a little bit of a range. There are 651 things that are on this list. So somewhere between one and 651. Yep. Okay. That's good. Thank you for narrowing that down for me. I appreciate that, Mike. Really mm-hmm. making this easy on me. Given that most tourists in the city go hang out in the historic downtown and look at churches, look at museums, I'm going to say it's probably not even in the top hundred. You're, you're, you're exactly right. So despite, everybody telling us that this is a work of art and it's, it's something that has to stay because it's part of the history and this, that, the other it's 133, 133. And that's not even taking into consideration just the tower or just the stairs. This is the Franke stadium itself. So that's probably people going to see what I think most people go to see at the Franke, which is the game itself. Yes. You take people or you have people taking selfies with the tower in the background. I've never taken a, selfie with the the stairs i mean like i've never seen anybody do it i've been to the Franke many times i've never seen anybody say hey listen can you take a picture of me with the spiral stairs in the background oh nope not landscape turn it up up that way so i get the whole thing like are you kidding me it, it absolutely is 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 blasphemous hearing all of this being discussed and it just shows that everything that's done in Florence right now is based off of an agenda, despite the fact that everybody's agenda should be what's best for the city, what's best for the citizens, what's best for the fans, and what's best for the club. Nobody does that. And once we get to that, once Rocco's successful, then we'll have a stadium. 
Rocco won't relent until that's done. That's why I think we're in a better spot now that he's there. And the fact is he's going to be there for several months because he's missed and, and, and loves every aspect of where he is right now. So I think we're in a much better spot. I think you're probably right, and I sure hope you are. I think that about does it for us for now, if you want to just listen to Mike and me. But don't worry, we have some new dulcet tones for you coming up. Don't go anywhere. Hello, Viola fans. We are very, very lucky to have this next guest with us. Uh, I think right now is probably the best time to have him with us, though, after watching yesterday's game. Uh, there's no better time to have a cardiologist on the phone with us uh, on the podcast here than, than right now. Uh, Viola Club New York member, uh, Florentine native, Nicola Corvaya. Nicola, how are you doing? Good. How about you guys? I'm so happy to be with you. Doing all right. You're very good. All things considered, I think uh, everybody's doing well. Um, I know you're over in Florence. Uh, visiting family, I would assume. Uh, what's going on over in, in the city of Firenze? Yes, uh, I came in Florence a couple of weeks ago, Tuesday, September 15. That's my hometown for actually two reasons, of course, for visiting family and even for professional reasons. So uh, what's hot in Florence now? Florence, unfortunately, is uh, within the pandemic. So it's a very delicate time moment in time for multiple reasons. From a tourist point of view, I'm sure you guys have been in Florence, I'm sure you know Florence from that part all over the world. And actually it's not a bad time to walk in Florence because very few people are around. So really you have time to be by yourself, enjoying. There are some issues of course with museum, etc., because you need to be uh, make the reservation, stuff like that. There are a limited time where you can go, etc. But overall, Florence is so nice. Uh, Florence is so beautiful, it's almost impossible to destroy Florence. That's the bottom line. And, uh, you know, um, just uh, do you want me to tell you my background or we go over directly to what we think is the most hot now? Oh. No, you know, hey, let's 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 just jump right into you know who you are, you you know how you grew up in in Florence, your your life being a Fiorentina fan. I know that also you moved over to the United States, and you are a very very successful cardiologist uh, in the New York City area. So yeah, let's hear a little bit about your background. Tell us uh, a couple stories of watching Fiorentina in the stadium, and uh, you know then flash forward to New York. Yeah, you know I. I was born in Florence, grew up in Florence, and I did my medical school in Florence, basically till the mid thirties, early thirties, uh, basically I was in Florence. So I know Florence like my, is my home. And uh, what should I say, you know, Fiorentina time, uh, I did the very first time I remember Fiorentina when I was very young, a little kid back in the sixties, basically. And so we go into the stadium. At the time, the name was Stadio Comunale. At the time, it was a big-time soccer team. We won the Scudetto in 1968-69 season. And at that time, it was a really great team. Kurt Hamring, the Swedish guy, was called Uccellino Doro. We had uh, a, such a great team, you know. And 
Then it was a time Chiarugi, you know, all of the big time goalkeepers, Sarti, uh, Albertosi, etc. Robotti, Castelletti, yeah, big time name. And then, of course, uh, we go over the things in the late 70s, 80s. Antonioni, of course, uh, is being uh, uh, one of the masters, of course, in Florence. The time of Baggio, you know, all these kind of years. Then uh, the time of Battistuta, you know, a lot of drama in Florence because, as you guys know, the, the Fiorentina fan, uh, they have a lot of drama, a lot of drama. The Curva Fiesole. I will send you WhatsApp a picture of the Curva Fiesole actually seen from the mother of Curva Fiesole. Meaning you go top of the hill in Fiesole and you go in San Francisco. San Francisco is the ancient Acropolis from the Etruscan time, back really in the, in like 600, uh, six centuries before Florence was even built. And from there, you can really see the stadium and you can see the Curva Fiesole. That's why it's called Curva Fiesole. It's a unique place, really unique place. So what's hot with Fiorentina? Well, Rocco is here. And uh, Rocco has been around, it came like a cyclone, you know, like a storm, like a hurricane in Florence. He bought all of a sudden, fast, 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 Fiorentina, uh, on June 6, uh, 2019. And since then, it's been really an escalation. Unfortunately, you know, of course, uh, pandemia uh, make a big halt. After many months, uh, Rocco came back to Florence. I'm so lucky I'm here as well. And uh, Rocco has been uh, away since uh, last February. So right now, it's really planning to do many things, many meetings, and you know, many things are hot. What are the three topics right now in Fiorentina? Of course, the team, the Centro Sportivo, and the stadium. And Rocco on September 24th made a very nice speech and presentation in a press conference. I'm not sure if you guys were able to follow that was really impressive, you know, his budget plan, project, etc., business plan for what can uh, be the impact in Florence for a new stadium. And that, of course, compared to what is happening in the other leagues, meaning the Premier League, you know, the uh, Liga Española, etc. Serie A is really behind. We are number four. We used to be number one back in the days. Now we are number four. Basically, the same level like the, the French League. And honestly, you know, that's uh, not good. Fiorentina is really down, especially over the past few years. There were years, as you know, you know, um, 2014, 2015, not bad, but now it's really down. Last year, really in bad shape. Hopefully this year will be better. We don't know. We don't know what's happening. We were, I'm, I'm very close in touch with the one of the leaders of the Curva Fiesole in Florence, which is Fefe, that's his nickname, Federico de Sinopoli. Federico de Sinopoli, just to give you a little bit of uh, background, uh, he might be in his mid-50s and uh, he's been uh, following Fiorentina in the away matches 
more than 800 times. Everywhere, all over Italy, every single match, when the Fiorentina was, uh, has been as, as well, uh, you know, in uh, uh, Europe, like either Champions League or UEFA, he's been there all the time. And uh, every time I have a question, what's the feeling of the soccer fans, I make him a, a question. I call him up, I send him notes up, we talk, and he's telling exactly what's the feeling of the true Fiorentina fan, the Curva Fiesole fans. And uh, every time I make sure I touch base with Rocco and I'll tell him what's the real feeling about the soccer fan for Fiorentina. You know, there are a lot of media, uh, big media, small media, everybody's saying something. Is the real truth? Who knows? It's a lot of writing, etc. And we want to really have a, a way, a direction where to go. So I believe that, you know, uh, one of the biggest uh, connoisseurs of Fiorentina soccer are whoever is being going to the stadium every single weekend, uh, either home matches and away matches. That's how you really you learn how you can judge somebody's playing good or whatever. And that's important. You know, the last thing you mentioned there is the, the feeling of the fans. What are the fans saying right now with those few topics? The team, the Centro Sportivo, and the stadium, as well as Rocco's overall impact? Well, that's a, an excellent question because, you know, when we say fans, you know, it's tough to say because uh, you uh, listen to the radio, the Fiorentina radio, not the official channel, but, you know, all the fanzine and whatever, you have a different opinion. You never know what's the real feeling. That's why every time I make sure I make a direct contact with the leadership in the Curva Fiesole. And that's important. What's my own perspective? What's the Fiorentina fan think? Of course, you know, it's, they are mixed feelings. Let's go back to when Rocco decided to, take, to confirm Iacchini as a team manager. Well, I have to say, I've been talking to all the Fiorentina fans that I know in New York and some of them in Florence. Everybody was very skeptical. Personally, I was happy because honestly, I, I think Iacchini is a very good guy with Fiorentina, has a Fiorentina heart. And uh, I asked this question to the uh, Tifosi in Curva Fiesole, Fefe, Federico de Sinopoli. The answer is this. Basically, they support uh, Iacchini and uh, Rocco's decision. Decision of Rocco is based on, uh, basically, you did good, you are confirmed. You did not good, of course, that's a different story. So, I mean, last year was a difficult uh, year for multiple reasons. Not a good start, a bad start. Iacchini took the team back in uh, end of December, starting early January, of course, uh, tough time, then the COVID-19, etc. But ultimately, you know, of course, we were not expecting to be uh, much better than that, honestly. Of course, there are different comments and the way Iacchini and his modulo, the 3-5-2, whatever, you know, there's a lot of talking, etc. But uh, we need to respect and uh, I, I like to watch the games, but of course, I'm not a coach, I'm not a manager, so I'm not in the position to judge and to give this kind of strong judgment. 
Of course, I have my personal opinion, but that's a different story. So overall, the, uh, that's the team. Is the Fiorentina fans happy about the Campania Acquisti, the, you know, the new players? Overall, I think the things are getting not bad, even though, of course, we still need, in my opinion, uh, some key players. I'm not sure Arabat role is the one yesterday played. You know, I've been following Arabat. I'll give you a little anecdote about Arabat. I live in New York, actually in the big area of New York, and now I live in Stanford, Connecticut. My hair cutters are from Morocco. So back to a year ago, September 2019, I was seeing this guy playing in Verona, Arabat, and so I go to their haircut place. I say, look, guys, I saw a guy from Morocco. He's doing, yes, yes, of course, of course. And... They gave me this, the impression they knew soccer as well, very well. Very physical guy. I'm not sure really yesterday's match was the perfect position for him. He can play anywhere. I don't know what you guys think about that, but that's one thing. So I see it, still think we need a good register, you know, the playmaker, which I'm, you know, Biragi actually is not bad. After one year in Milan, he improved. Clearly, uh, Ribery, of course, did the first half with a little bit shaky stuff somehow, but the second half is being brilliant. Brilliant. As a forward, of course, we, we have some issues. We have three people over there, you know, actually two and a half maybe. None of them seems to be really mature, believe it or not. Uh, Vlaovic is a good guy, is not mature. He, Will you ever be ready for uh, this year? I don't know. I'm shaky about that. Uh, Cutrone, he had a chance in AC Milan. He had a chance in, back in the Premier League, etc. Now he's with us. It's not bad, but of course, we would like to have some, some, somebody better. But overall, I think we have... Uh, and the other thing, what I liked yesterday match was the attitude. I've been touching base with that. You know, there was a, we need to go to play any single game, not just to go just to play, but to win, period. If we go with the right mentality, we can make it. And as a matter of fact, until up to five minutes, end of the game, we are ahead three to two. The last few minutes, we lost. So mentality and Inter is a great team because they have great players, but they do not have yet a very good cohesive team. They have some issues. So, and we had a very good chance because, uh, I mean, honestly, we had uh, the tight 1-1 one -one because of, uh, you know, auto goal. And that's the thing. And uh, so overall, I think uh, we have an option. And I think we need to have the right mentality. And Ribery is a good leader. He's a great leader. Yesterday was, was definitely um, an interesting game. I agree. You know, seeing this team come out and play the way that they did for 87 minutes was phenomenal. We took it to a potential Scudetto winning team uh, and, and maybe not dictated play, but we played the game we needed and we played it very well to put ourselves in a position to win it if the game ended at 87 minutes. 
Unfortunately, uh, I think the difference there is is the substitutions. You know, when you look at the substitutions that we made and the players we brought in versus Inter, you know, when you can bring in Nyangalan and, and, you know, everybody that they brought in, Vidal, like, that's a big difference. You know, they're bringing on experienced players. And when that happens, you know, we had people that were younger, willing to run and had fresh legs, but they had people that just knew how to put the the knife to the throat and and end it at that point. You know, once those guys came in, all you saw was people darting to the goal, crosses coming in right after, right after left, after right. It it was, um, it was something that um, it it almost seemed like it was bound to happen no matter what. And I was actually speaking to a buddy of mine who's an Inter fan. And he was like, well, listen, you know, Inter always loses these games. I was like, well, Inter and Fiorentina are the same. We always lose these games too. We give them up at the end. And that's exactly what we did. So it's, it's definitely unfortunate. And I'm just curious being a cardiologist, is there uh, any advice that you have for any of our fans to get some of those years back that we lost yesterday from that heartbreaking loss? Just stay cool. Just take it cool <laughs> and carry on. <laughs> Every single game, yeah. just go for a win not, and no compromise. That's it. Yeah. I mean, there's no way you can play a match and start with a match with the fear you're going to lose or counting the minutes to the end of the match because in two minutes you can you can basically be down three scores so no way you just keep carry on uh, good mentality positive mentality of course when you when you have a vidal getting in uh, and uh, you see that vertical pass uh, to lukaku and then uh, akimi there you understand what's the difference as you said and i totally agree with that and unfortunately, we are not there. We are, don't think we are going to be there soon. But we need to have a right mentality because that can make, be really the, the, big, the, the, the very good difference. Really, we want to see the player playing and with the heart. And really to give all the possible, uh, the possible uh, shots and uh, to give it. Okay, that's basically cover pretty much what is the team right now. We just need to... See and uh, just go one match at a time and see what's next. I think the other two important topics we want to talk maybe is the stadium and the other one is the Centro Sportivo, correct? Yeah, and what what is the feeling in Florence about the stadium right now? Yeah, all right. Well, that's a very good question. You know, uh, Everybody would like, would love to have a stadium like, you know, we don't need a huge stadium like the Atlanta Arena, you know what I mean? But we would like to have something like, you know, the Red Bulls in New Jersey, the one we played against Benfica, stuff like that, etc., where we can enjoy some commercial, everybody's happy, enjoy the game, and that's it. Right now, it's not the case in, in the Frankie Stadium, in the in the. Uh, Comunale Stadium, and they used to be called the Berta Stadium, whatever it's called now. Frankie, it's a great stadium, but it's not up to speed. No way. And if, uh, I mean, this is the point. Uh, one limit that we need to keep in mind, Fiorenza, Firenze, whatever you want to call it, is a great town, great city, because of a very peculiar 
X number of centuries in which was ruled by, by a very powerful and uh, leading family, which was the Medici family. All the Renaissance came there because of them. There are multiple reasons behind that. Of course, before that, in the uh, 13th century, it was Dante Alighieri. Of course, uh, he was the father of the Italian language. Keep in mind, he was put in exile by the Fiorentine people. Okay, that's an important part about the Firenze attitude. So we need to understand that when we're talking about what's next for the stadium. And Rocco is profoundly dealing with that. And he really is behaving a big, big time difficulties. Uh, politicians are different from the uh, politicians from the Middle Ages, from the Renaissance, but they are not that different, I'm telling you. The way they think. So Rocco needs his Beatrice to, to get him through. Right, yeah. That, actually, he, he's got Caterina. And Caterina, his wife, is a great uh, ambassador and is a great advisor. In my opinion, there's no way they say the soccer stadium can be still this way. Uh, Rocco Comiso made it clear several times, he's, making, he's been making clear that since time zero, meaning back to July 2019, and then last season, a different occasion, he bought the uh, area for the Centro Sportivo. He understands how to run the business. Rock is such a smart person, and Florence needs to be enthusiastic about this. And he cannot afford to have Rocco to lose enthusiasm in this. It's not just about Rocco, it's about Fiorentina, it's about Florence itself. There's a big time uh, funneling about a lot of business can come with that. So unfortunately, what happened, there's a lot of uh, roadblocks. There were big time roadblocks before, but they're still there. You know, the problem is that uh, uh, the, for the study of Frankie is being named like a, a national monument. I have no objection about that. It's a great stadium. The styling, the architecture, you know, the, the stairs, but um, it's not up to speed. When you go to the stadium, of course, you enjoy looking at the helicoidal stairs, but you want to stay comfortable when it's raining. And uh, staying two hours there, you want to go maybe to the toilet and the restroom. And I'm telling you, it's the big time issues. And of course, some of the soccer fans are lucky enough to go to the Tribuna Coperta, which is only a small area. Most of them, are there. and honestly, you know, that's another important part. As I mentioned before, Fefe, Federico De Sinopoli is uh, the leader over there in the Curva Fiesole. And uh, I had to say, I have big time at my, I used to go in Curva Fiesole when I was a kid, okay? But now, if you go in Curva Fiesole, you don't see nothing. Because, you know, the first goal, the first uh, post is uh, like um, 60 to 80 yards away. And the opposite, the, uh, you know, is um, at, at another 100 yards, you see, is almost 200 yards. So tell me what you can see, what you can enjoy. 
very difficult. Mm. So really it's not up to speed. And honestly, you know, when you go to uh, watch games all over Europe, in America as well, of course, you see very nice stadium. So you just picture yourself, Fiorentina, on a stable position in Europe League, in UEFA League, and hopefully in Champions League, and, uh, you know, have this kind of uh, stadium. I mean, no way. So what are the two options? Of course, uh, it's a big problem because uh, we have only these two options in Florence. Mercafir, which was the third option, was a waste of time. One year of meetings, one after the other, no way. Of course, Rocco has the vision, immediately understand what are the limitations, and he was not happy about losing one year uh, for whatever reason, but basically doing nothing. There were some issues as well with the Centro Sportivo, but I think that those will be resolved. And hopefully by the first quarter of 2021, hopefully the very first quarter, uh, the things are going to be starting. And uh, by maybe another year, uh, by by the end of 2021, we should have something in place as a Centro Sportivo maybe. You know, it's very interesting. I, I think even on our side, we've, and you went into the history, we've called it a modern day Medici versus Savonarola. Uh, it seems like that's kind of what's playing out inside of the city as you have uh, Rocco Camiso, the Camiso family coming in, trying to reinvigorate um, not only just Fiorentina, but the Florentine economy. I'll go back probably five months ago at this point, and I was watching Mayor Nardella. Uh, who put out a video on his social media where he was on Fox News making a global appeal on Fox News to all types of rich people across the globe saying, we're in in the red. You know, we need some people to come in and help us out with our coffers and, and you donate some money. We'll allow you to actually have a say in what's going on inside of Florence. Why make an appeal on Fox News for benefactors to come in and invigorate the economy. When you, you mentioned the, the press conference on the 24th, Deloitte came out with a study talking about this stadium being built can actually have $5 billion of economical impact to the city of Florence over the next 10 years. What's missing? Yeah, I think you are exactly on the spot. I think it's the mentality, honestly. You know, as I was mentioning before, uh, you know, politics in Italy compared to the U- politics overall is a lot of talking, etc., a lot of uh, agreement, etc. No question about that. In Italy, it has to be multiplied uh, because it's even more. And bureaucracy as well is another issue. And why is that? Of course, that's a long discussion and that I think is above the scope of our conversation today of course as you might understand <laughs> but i can really tell you that uh, it's not an easy stuff uh, and uh, i really think uh, rocco will have a very very difficult time in this the other option you know about the campi Bizenzio, etc of course is an option because uh, there's a ample uh in a terrain that can be used no question about this but there are issues there First of all, uh, uh, it's not exactly where Rocco would like to have it, number one. Second of all, there are issues. Some of them, they are reported. Some of, of them probably are even underreported. 
Uh, one issue is the airport. They are planning to build a new uh, ramp over there, a new, a new runway. And what happened right now is on a halt because of some bureaucracy as well, etc. But I have the feeling that will be done. And as a matter of fact, the a new runway of the airport, it's called 1230 runway, basically will be in the same direction of the potential new stadium in Campi Bizenzo. Yes, most likely the airplane, when they are landing and they are taking off, they will be already at a certain height, but there are some issues. And by talking to somebody at the airport, Honestly, those issues should be taken up front as well in consideration. And everybody is given for granted, there is no issue, but I'm not sure about that. So I'm sure Rocco is uh, getting all the parties together. He had meetings with Emiliano Fossi, who is the mayor in Campi Vicencio. Uh, you know, that's again uh, meetings and meetings and meetings. We want some action. And as you mentioned, you know, when you're talking about $5 billion in a span of 10 years, that's a substantial money. And the Campo di Marte area is historically the very sport area of Florence. It's uh, 10 minutes away from Centro Coverciano. The Coverciano is the uh, FIGC, the Federazione Italiana Gioco Calcio. And... Uh, and the Campo di Marte is 20 minutes away driving time from the future Centro Sportivo in Bagnarripoli. So everything is there. So geographically, Campo di Marte is the perfect area. Uh, there are issues. And of course, uh, how can you build up a good uh, area commerciale? I mean, a good shopping center where you can have everything with all the appliances, with um, uh, including lodging, possibly, etc. Those are all issues. And uh, as you mentioned, those are important issues and they should be taken as a really, as, as a good opportunity. So I really hope something can be done, but I'm very skeptical. And of course, Rocco is the, the person in charge and he's going to be able to decide. But I think it's, a, it's, a, it's something that basically is still hot and I don't see a solution right now. And likewise, all the Fiorentina fans, they don't see a solution. Everybody's puzzling. But, you know, they keep posting, you know, polls. You want the stadium in Campo di Marte. You want the stadium in Campi, you know. Does it make a difference? I don't think it will make a difference. The, the reality we need to face, the reality which is different. Bureaucracy, etc. What, you know, if you have solidarity, everybody is uh, uh, trying to uh, move in the same way, it's much easier. Once you see people moving from away from, away from each other, it's not easy. So those are the things. But, you know, overall... Uh, I think, and Florence is just uh, one part of Italy. Many other cities, they face this, this similar issues with the soccer stadium, etc. Yeah, something that I think we've talked about quite a bit on the site is doing what Juventus do, where they lease the land but own the stadium. Do you think that would be a solution? 
Oh, yes, Juventus, I believe, I'm not sure about the details, but I believe they have a kind of 90, 99 years of so-called concession. Uh, basically, that's the story. Well, I'm sure Juventus, they know how to deal with it. They've been doing the kind of situation since time zero, being basically early uh, end 19th century and early 20th century when they build up the fiat, the same kind of stuff. So they are very good in making the kind of deal. Uh, and uh, you know the other thing, Juventus is being owned by the same people all the time. So totally different strategy. And you know. Uh, President of uh, Agnelli of Juventus is even the president of ECA, correct? The European Club of Association, which is a very powerful position. We are not in that position. We are not even, we don't even have a spot in the Liga, in, in the Liga Serie A. Uh, you guys know, Joe Barone tried basically and uh, he, didn't, he was not successful. Hopefully, next time he'll be. You know, Rocco is a great guy. Sometimes he's being judged to be too much upfront in the way he basically, in a confrontational, I, I don't think it's a confrontational attitude at all. It's just the way he thinks and uh, he acts. But uh, I'll tell you, some uh, of the people in Florence, they are very sensitive to the kind of attitude. You know what I mean? It's an important. I've been trying to, to tell Rock about that, but it's not. It's not easy. It's a little bit different in the in the U.S. and in Italy too. I think he's maybe more used to that American way of doing things. Yes. Yeah, it's it's been fun to watch that little bit of clash of cultures go on. Although it would be even funner if we got a stadium out of it. Uh, you know, ideally, you know, we are talking about uh, big time. If uh, the monument is the monument. And I agree, the, the stairs are beautiful uh, architecture. So why don't we just take out the stairs and we just build them in the new stadium somehow? You know what I mean? They did it that in Egypt, in Aswan, when they moved the Sphinx. And you know, guys, you know, in, in New York City, we had the Metropolitan Museum and built in, there's a tomb from the pyramid which is basically built in there. And they used to be in Egypt. So you can do that. I mean, no question that the stairs are great. So just take them out, take out the Torre di Maratona and just put in the new stadium. But probably ground zero and then add them on, I think is the way to go, in my opinion. Is that the final solution in your mind? Is that the way you well, think that's my ideal solution. Let's put it yeah. this way. I don't know if it will be the final. I don't even know if something can be done, but that's what I would do. I would just basically take apart the Scala Eloquidali, the Torre di Maratona, and maybe even the Pensilina on the Tribuna, which are the three landmarks, uh, icons of the Stadio Franchi, and then put, in, put, uh, put them apart, get all the engineer, all the technology we have all over the world, putting them together, build a brand new stadium and somehow attach them. It will be amazing. Yeah. You know, from, from speaking for, for a lot of fans that are international that come into the city, stay in the city center, and then go to a game as part of their visit, 
I think that keeping the stadium where it is is probably the ideal solution for a fan that's coming into Florence, staying in the city center, and then having to go all the way out of the city. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned was the airport, but the infrastructure is the other part. You know, So how are fans that are staying in a hotel room going to get out to Campi Vicenzio? That's a big uh, issue. Uh, and that's going to be a long drive to drive, uh, train, tram, whatever it would be. So I think that you're right. The best case scenario is probably keeping it there, despite the fact that I would love to see what Rocco would do with a brand new structure in a, you know, uh, blank canvas out in Campy. Um, the other complication is we saw a report this week that said they would have to move the field. I think it was like a hundred yards, uh, in, in order to get all of the uh, room for the shops, for the offices, for all of the things that Rocco's planning at this point inside of the stadium to start generating the $2.25 billion of revenue to the club over the next 10 years. So taking the, the revenue from 90 million euros to 225 million euros each year, uh, there, there's a lot of things that Rocco is building into this, and, and he has to do it his way because can you imagine? Go from 90 million to now be on par and above, you know, some of those other clubs that are out there, the you know, Romas and, and uh, Napoli's of the world, like now we can start affording a lot of those players. That would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, you are correct. I think, uh, you know, the difference in between the U.S., you know, I live in the New York area, uh, like in the Red Bulls in New Jersey. I mean, that area is great, but, you know, the connectivity in terms of highways, etc., is totally different compared Florence, and that's even close to the uh, autobahn from the to the highway. The problem you don't have an exit. The exit right now is uh, nearby in Calenzano, which is even though it's very close to the Campi, the Asmana area via Allende, to get there from the Calenzano exit it takes forever, and there's not an easy way exactly all over around. So that's another issue. Of course, that's an, a possibility, but in my opinion, it's not the ideal solution. The ideal solution is still the Campo di Marte area. And Campo di Marte is a very large area. There are many other sports facilities there. It would be nice to have a coordination and solidarity in moving the things together. Rock will take his own part. He gets some, and it's nothing personal. It's a, everybody is going to be a win, 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 win situation. For, yeah. for all the parties, for all the stakeholders. And what else can you ask for than having everyone come out ahead? I feel like there's a lot of work to be done to make that happen still. Hopefully we get yeah. to see it pretty soon. Yeah, exactly. That would be awesome. Well, we'll see. I think uh, we have uh, time to enjoy matches, I believe. And uh, hopefully Fiorentina will give us a little bit of more relaxing time this year compared to the compared to last year, you know, instead of suffering like that, you know, I used to have a Fiorentina all the time, you know, on the left side and then the higher part of the left side, I wouldn't say in the, in the first, in the first year, but at least in the second year. Yeah. yeah, there's no doubt this is definitely a much better team than we were last year. If it stays this way, I think the mentality's changed. Uh, equally as important, I think that Beppe has changed his approach to the game. 
which was uh, just as important as getting in good players. So I think we're in a much better spot. Hopefully that equates to moving from, you know, 10 to I predicted six. Uh, so let's hope that we move up to that, uh, to that point and we can start uh, smelling Europe a, a little bit more here. So uh, Nicola, is there, is there anything else that you wanted to add as we're going to, you know, start closing this down here? I think uh, we pretty much cover what uh, is hot right now. We, we cover the long-term plan. I think that's, again, I think uh, as a final message, I, I, I think the most important, of course, we, are, we can only expect Fiorentina team getting better. It's just a matter of time. The real other important take-home message Please, Firenze, think about yourself as a Fiorenza, Firenze, and the future, and take uh, very seriously the opportunity to have Rocco to lead this kind of new forward step in the next 20 years of Fiorentina. But really, you need to have this kind of uh, mentality. So I think, uh, listen, once the new stadium will be done, and hopefully if it is the stadium like Rocco wants, everybody will be happy. Everybody will be happy. We need to think about that. We cannot think nothing in between. You know, in Florence, back in the 13th century, and I conclude with this, there was a saying, cosa fatta capo a. What does it mean? It means once you do something, that's it. You've done it. And you can start doing another one. Why was that done? Because, uh, you know, the Guelphi and Ghibellini, the Guelph and the Ghibellins, back in the years, in the, the first half of the, 12th, of the 13th centuries, there was uh, this very powerful family, the Amidei and Wondermonti. There was a big fight in between them. Uh, so there was done, uh, they came to a solution to basically to come to a peace to have a, a matrimonio riparatore, meaning a solution as a solution, a wedding in between a guy from one family to a lady from the other family. This lady happened to be kind of uh, ugly, so the future uh, husband say, I'm not gonna marry her. And the day of the wedding, he didn't show up. And the poor lady was waiting. So what happened, the family was so upset, they decided to kill the guy. And they say, cosa fatta capoa? We did it, that's it. We can go to the next one. You know what I mean? So what, what does it mean? Rock has to do it, period. Just do it. The new stadium, right. whatever it takes, do it because if you leave Florentine to discuss, we'll be going over and over and over and over. We've been talking the new stadium since the Pontello time, meaning the Baggio time. So we need to take action. And Rocco is the perfect person. No, couldn't have said it any better. Nicola, we appreciate you coming by, classing up the joint. Uh, you're our second doctor here, uh, and we appreciate you uh, bringing all of your knowledge, Fiorentina, uh, Florentine, and everything in between. So thank you for your time. Have a, a continued safe uh, vacation back in, in Florence, and have a very safe trip uh, coming back to the States. We'll talk again very soon. 
Thank you very much, Mike and Tito. It's really nice chatting with you. And uh, anytime again, uh, thank you very much for the invitation. Okay, Forza Fiorentina. Ciao, dottore, Forza. The station is hosted by Mike and Tito. Tito also produced this episode. We cannot thank Dr. Nicola Corvaya for adding a level of knowledge and dignity that we otherwise lack. Grazie mille. Our theme song is Great Catch by Windchime Weather. Check them out at windchimeweather.bandcamp.com. Viola Station is the podcast from violanation.com. Viola Nation is part of the SB Nation Network. Forza Viola. Sports Social Podcast Network.